Beloved brothers and sisters, family in Christ, would you open your copy of God's Word to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Returning this week to the portion of this at the end, I said last week, which is the part of the epilogue from verse 13 to the end, where Jesus is really, as it were, summarizing the essence and content of what he has said in chapter 5, verse 3, up to 7:12, And he is, as a good sermon ought to, he is summarizing, but then he is driving points of application home. He is saying, this is what the obedience of faith looks like for you and me. As we saw last week, our Lord Jesus told those hearing him, these disciples, he exhorted them in light of all that he had said that there are two ways, two ways that will be attempted to enter into abide in his kingdom. There is a way that some will say is, is broad. Right? There is a way that is, is a broad way and, and, it, and has a, the city for which they're seeking is one that's got a wide open gate. Anybody can go through it. But Jesus said that that is a way while there's no seeking for that at all. It's just the way that everybody goes in by nature left to themselves, but it's a way that leads to destruction by the king of kings, as those who oppose the kingdom and the truth of the living God and his king Jesus, whom he has set on the throne. And then the other way is the way that Jesus describes as a difficult way. It's a narrow way. It's a way that will prove costly in many ways. It's a way that Jesus, as he later says in Matthew 16, is a way that may involve taking up a cross. It certainly will involve taking up one um, spiritually, metaphorically. It may, for many of those hearing, some it would even involve literally taking on death and martyrdom in Jesus' name. But what he's calling them to remember is that in light of all that I've said, that the kingdom of God, of which he had just been telling them, is of such supreme value and is such a treasure, as he will later say in Matthew 13, that it is worth submitting to that king. It is worth following in the narrow way and the, the difficult way and, and the way of humility that requires you to go through that narrow gate of poorness of spirit and the Beatitudes. That is a way that leads to eternal life, abundance of life. And so Jesus sets a very clear choice before them. But today, as we're going to see, Jesus is going to say to you and to me, in light of that reality, that there really are only two ways. It is imperative that you take heed to whom you listen. There are true prophets. There are those who are true teachers who will speak in accordance with what Jesus has said and will show you the way of truth and righteousness. And there are those who maybe will even use Jesus' name, as we'll see. They may look eloquent. They may speak 
As 2 Peter says, great swelling words and their arrogance, they may sound very charismatic, they may sound impressive, but their way is the way that leads to destruction. Do not heed them. So if you would stand together, let's read Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 15 to 23. Hear and believe the word of the Lord. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, may the way of truth and righteousness to your kingdom and life be as clear as can be to us today. And I pray that through the hearing of this word that we might be both admonished, exhorted, kept from the broad way of destruction, and we might be firmly set upon the way of life to your glory and our eternal joy. For we ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. You may be seated, saints. I was listening this week to the words of a song by one of my favorite musicians. Those of you who are a little older will know this song. Those of you who are younger, I would exhort you today, go home, get on YouTube, turn it on, listen to it. It's worth hearing. Brother Stephen Curtis Chapman, but I want you to hear these words. I think he hits this square on the head as a starting place today. There's a teacher in a schoolroom somewhere on the edge of town telling innocent little children what they used to be. They, they look and they listen without a question. They see the pictures passed around, making facts out of a theory, and they all believe. It's the lost lead the way. Another heart is led astray. There's a preacher in a nice church it's anchored right in the heart of town. People flock to hear his eloquent delivery. He talks of Jesus and how he can please us. But the cross cannot be found, making theory out of facts until they're all deceived. And the lost lead the way and more hearts are led astray. These are the days when the blind lead the blind. And there's one narrow way out of here. So pray that the light of the world will keep your eyes clear. Because it's a dangerous place here where the blind lead the blind. It's a dangerous time and the truth can be so very hard to find. So let his word light your way. 
and let it guard every step you take. Brethren, that's well said. I could mention names that we all know or many of you know. Stephen Furtick, Beth Moore, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Bill Johnson, Bethel, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteens, we, we could go on and on, Rob Bell, you know. But those are out there, so let me cut a little closer to home. You know, in our context, maybe I would say Tim Keller. There are, brothers and sisters, are many, many within the church of Jesus Christ, and this is no different today than it was in Jesus' day. Jesus and the apostles warned us that would use the name of Jesus. They would proclaim to be teachers of the word. They may know a great deal of the word, but when it comes right down to it, they fear men more than God, and therefore, as Jesus says in Luke 9, 26, they prove themselves to be ashamed of me and my words. At least some of them. They refuse, as Jesus says in Matthew 10, 33, they refuse to confess Jesus truly and faithfully according to his word before men. And they seem to forget that Jesus says there in those contexts that those who refuse to confess me truly before men, profess me before men, that the Father will not confess them, Jesus will not confess them before his Father in heaven. Fear of men so often gets a hold, or if not fear of men, other teachers, so-called prophets, who just, frankly, have forgotten that the way of the kingdom is the way of humility, and the way of poverty of spirit, and so they begin to be proud in their conceits and they think highly of themselves. Brethren, I could give a long list. I won't give more, but just to say that our Lord Jesus couldn't be more clear to us in this text today that we must listen only to the true shepherd prophet, namely to Jesus himself, and to those who are called by him who speak his words, his message, and his name in truth. Jesus tells us that there are true prophets and teachers who speak truth, who model truth in their lives, the truth of God and sincere love for souls. And therefore, they won't compromise on the cure that souls need. That word of God, which we read earlier at the beginning in 2 Timothy, which is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. That's why Paul tells Timothy then, at the beginning of chapter 4, Timothy, be preach the word in season, out of season. Be instant in it. Reprove, correct, exhort, and so on with all long-suffering and diligence because the time will come, Timothy, in which they will seek to heap up to themselves teachers according to their own lusts who will tell them what they want to hear. They will have itching ears. Timothy, you be faithful. You do the work of an evangelist. You 
hold fast to the profession of Jesus. And then Paul tells him there at the end, he says, you do so knowing that there is a crown of righteousness set before you, and not you only and me, but to all who have loved Jesus and waited for him and held fast to him in truth, who have loved his kingdom and its appearing. Brethren, that, if I may say, that is really the issue here. It's the issue today as it was then. So what I want us to see today are really just three key things. Number one, I want us to consider the danger of false prophets, because there's a great danger. Considering that danger, I want us to consider how to identify false prophets. And then lastly, let's consider in brief what Jesus says is the end of those prophets. And I might add, it is, uh, you know me, and I like, I like acrostics. Um, those three points, the first letters spell D-I-E, and that is not by accident. This is serious, but it's also joy. Let's consider, first of all, the danger of false prophets. Verse 15, Jesus tells us, he commands us, beware, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. What are false prophets? That's probably the first thing we should ask. If we're to beware of false prophets, what do we mean by that? A prophet in the scripture is simply one who speaks on behalf of or is an ambassador of God or gods. Even pagan religions, uh, the unbelieving nations around Israel had their prophets, right? Think back to Balaam and Balak. Balaam was a uh, prophet instead of the Most High God, but the point is the nations around them, they had their false prophets, they had prophets of Baal, remember in 1 King, who were dancing around trying to get Baal to act. So a prophet speaks ostensibly a word on behalf of or as an ambassador of God or gods. And, and, and a false prophet then is one who, acting the part of a divinely inspired prophet, nevertheless utters deceit, lies, or falsehood under the name of divine prophecies. They are not what they appear to be. False prophets and false teachers are very similar. They're parallel, both claiming to speak God's truth authoritatively, but falsely. They come in among God's sheepfold, among God's people, and they do so by stealth, often in deception. They don't just walk in and say, Hi, um, just letting you know, I'm a false prophet, or I'm a false teacher. Not at all. They come in subtly. They look very good. Jesus describes them here. You know, uh, he says they, they come in sheep's clothing into the sheepfold. I mean, if a wolf just walked in as a wolf and bared his fangs and said, Hi, I'm here for some mutton. Well, the sheep aren't stupid. Well, they can be, but they know when there's danger. So no, what does a, a false prophet do? He comes in, he says, he, they're subtle. They dress in sheep's clothing. They try to look sheepish. But their inward nature, they're still ravenous wolves. They're still, as, as Peter says, remember at the second, uh, end of 2 Peter 2, he says, they, like dogs, return to their vomit. They're, they're like pigs that, having been washed, nevertheless return to rolling in the mud. 
Their true nature is what it is. They are ravenous wolves. They love mutton sandwiches. And they're not the least bit sheepish about it. But brethren, they come in by stealth. And Jesus warns that though they may bat like a sheep, they try. Nevertheless, they growl in secret. They're driven by their carnivorous, their carnal appetites, their self-seeking ways. They're not about the glory of God and Jesus. They're not about His way of righteousness, but an alternate way, a broad way, about a wide gate that leads to destruction. They're, not only are their words false, but their works are false. Again, they dress like sheep, but they are opposed to the ways of God, the very God that they say they bless and edify. Right? They use Jesus' name all the time, but they use it falsely. Instead, they seek to use the sheep for their own selfish interests, their own gain, and they glorify themselves and their pride instead of truly glorifying God, being clothed with humility. Jesus says that these are the sort that seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, of course, these false prophets, their origin, their history, we might say, it begins and it goes all the way back to the beginning in the garden, does it not? The father of lies and deceit. Satan himself is the source, the beginning point of all falsehood, ultimately, and therefore false prophets. Remember, the scripture tells us that the adversary is a counterfeiter. He has a false gospel, Galatians 1, 6 to 9, right? Paul warns them, he says, I am amazed that you, you have so quickly given way to another gospel, which is not another. But there are some that would seek to persuade you. Paul says later on, also describing such false apostles, he says that they are false ministers, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12 and 13. They counterfeit themselves and even make themselves look like angels of light. But they produce false disciples who follow in their ways. The reality is, is that Satan plants his counterfeits. He sows his tares in the field of God wherever God plants true believers. Jesus told us that in Matthew 13. You will get pushback, and Satan is not stupid. He is subtle and crafty in his ways, as he has always been. You remember when he came to Eve in the garden, it describes in there, the serpent was subtle, he was crafty. Did God really say that? Planting seeds of doubt. Surely you know that God doesn't really have your best interest in mind when he says, no, Eve, no, Adam, wait. Surely you know that God knows in reality that your eyes will be open. You'll be just like him, and God's jealous. He's hoarding it for himself. That's, that's the sort of thing, right? These ideas of false prophets, again, there's numerous Old Testament examples. We read in Deuteronomy 13 and 18 this morning, Brother Ben did, about warnings against those who would come and speak false in God's name, in the name of Jehovah. 
and yet they would speak and say things in his name which would not come to pass, or things which would call them ultimately to follow other gods, which were not the one true and living God, and, 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 and the exhortation couldn't have been more clear. The Lord said, even if they perform miracles, if they do marvelous things that wow you, do not listen to them because I am testing you to see whether your heart is true to me. Whether you love the Lord your God in truth. I remind you that when Moses came in before Pharaoh and he did wonderful works, remember he threw down the staff and it became a serpent and other several of the uh, plagues Remember that the diviners of Pharaoh, in the name of their false demonic gods, which is what they are, did the same things. Now, God ultimately won up on that one, and that power conflict went God's way most assuredly. But I want to be clear. Let us not think that just because there is power or there's apparent miraculous things or healings or whatever, that that is automatically an authentication that it must surely be from God. Brethren, I trust that if you've ever gotten on TBN and watched some of the shenanigans that goes on there, I trust you can tell me and say, Steve, I understand that just because of what people claim there, that does not make it from the Lord. Fact, reality is, is that those that desire to listen to false prophets, as we'll see, tend to often get what they want. And sometimes it's even by the Lord's own hand. Remember 1 Kings chapter 22, right? There's Jehoshaphat. He's, they're, they're going to, uh, he's been called into battle, making an alliance, and they're going to war. And, and the king of the northern kingdom says, I want to, I've heard from all my prophets, right? And they've all said, go, fight. The battle is yours. God's going to give you the victory. And he says, I, I want to hear from one of the prophets, okay, on, on, down south. <laughs> from, so they call in Micaiah. And Micaiah, you remember, comes in initially and says, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's messing with them, right? Because he knows what they're expecting. And, 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 and he says, didn't I tell you that he was going to give me a false? He says, what does God really think? So Micaiah tells him, the truth, the one, fall, the one true prophet. He says, you're going to go, and I saw Israel falling. I saw you dying in battle. And of course, the response, didn't I tell you? I told you he was going <laughs> to tell me the truth. I didn't want to hear it. So they lock Micaiah up, and sure enough, exactly as prophesied, they flee before the enemies, the Syrians. And, you know, I remind you, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. Why don't you go ahead and turn there real quick. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, just by way of an admonition. To those who love false words and who want to hear false words, sometimes the Lord says, okay. I'm talking about Satan being the source of false prophecies and lies, starting in verse 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is in accord with the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. That's what Deuteronomy talked about, right? And with all unrighteous deception 
among those that perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't receive the love of the truth. So, for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie so that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let me translate that, brethren. If somebody loves the darkness, if they love false prophets and false teachers, the Lord very often will give them exactly what they want. But they find it ends up in a very miserable place, does it not? He will send them a strong delusion, a stumbling block. I say that just to incur warning. We can think of other places in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 6 and 8, where Jeremiah warns, he says that there are false prophets there right before the fall of Jerusalem with Nebuchadnezzar and the armies at the gate, and they were saying, peace, peace. God's going to defend us here. Don't worry about the apostasy. Don't worry about the covenant infidelity. Don't worry about all the perversions and wickedness in us. God is on our side. Peace, peace. And you remember Jeremiah says, they come and they say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Because as Jeremiah says, Isaiah 58, I think it's verse 11, says, there is no peace to the wicked. There is no peace for the ungodly. I love Isaiah 58, though, because when Isaiah said that, he goes on and he says, but that the day will come in which he will preach priests, he will come and the Messiah will come and preach, preach, it's hard to say, preach, peace, peace. And Paul picks up on that in Ephesians 2. Jesus came and preached peace, peace to us who are far and away and near. But you remember in the context of Isaiah 58, it says, what were the terms of preaching peace, peace? Isaiah makes it very clear. He will, come pre- he will come preach peace, peace to you because the Lord God will turn your hearts toward him in truth. So it's not a false peace, it's the true thing. Jesus taught about false prophets, Matthew 23. Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, false teachers. Remember he says that the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Again, the seat of Moses, the prophet, they come to you, teachers of the word of God. Observe what they tell you, but do not do what they do, because they don't do according to their works. They say and do not, and so on. They're hypocrites. They shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and they don't go in themselves. They devour widows' houses. They're wolves. And then in chapter 24, when Jesus is speaking there of that last generation, in verse 12, he says, Because lawlessness will abound, many, the love of many will grow cold. He who endures to the end will be saved. And there will be, verse 11, false prophets that will rise up and deceive many. Verse 24, false Christs and false prophets will rise and will show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The apostles also, many places, I won't go into all of those, there's many. Just remember like in Acts 20, right? There's Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, exhorting them. He says, remember that I have dwelt among you and I have preached to you the whole counsel of God, but after I leave, wolves will come in, some from even among your own number, and they will not spare the flock. They will be deceptive, just what Jesus talks about. Don't forget that I gave you the word, he says. Hold fast to it. Protect the flock. 
2 Peter chapter 2. We read 2 Peter 1 earlier about the true prophet and about the true way of righteousness, right? The narrow way and the difficult way. Peter essentially says that in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 11 about adding to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and seeking the Lord, being diligent to make your call and election sure, to make it sturdy, that's the idea, steadfast, built on the rock. For so an abundant entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about. But in chapter 2, he goes on, he says, There were false prophets among the people. There will be false teachers among you, and they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways, and so on, of, through whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So brethren, I just say all that to say, number one, take this seriously. Don't be naive. Don't believe anyone just because they bear or use the name of Jesus or because they speak Christianese. Just because they can quote Bible verses here and there, the question is, are they speaking in truth according to the tenor of God's word, according to the words of Jesus and His kingdom and His righteousness? You who are His sheep, you have the Spirit, and therefore you hear His voice. The voice of strangers you will not listen to, but be careful. Because even false shepherds can sure often mask themselves and make themselves awfully Make them sound awfully Christ-like. Test the spirits, John says in 1 John 1. Test the spirits to discern false from true. Hold fast to what is true and reject that which is false. Number two then. While we are to be aware of the dangers of false prophets, we need a question then. How do we identify them? Look at verse 16 to 20. Jesus tells us there how we go about identifying, identifying them. And really, Jesus' words here, in some ways, seem alarmingly simple. They, they seem almost too black and white. I want to exhort you today, brethren, that they are not. They are not. There is a lot less gray here than people often think. Jesus, don't turn there, but you remind her that Jesus says later in Matthew 15, he speaks of the Pharisees and his teachers. You know, he says that every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. So leave them alone, because they're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Jesus goes on and he tells them, Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth, these come from the heart, and these defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. I say that because Jesus couldn't be more clear that it's what comes out of the heart that truly reveals the heart, and it does. It truly shows you what kind of tree it is. Jesus says here that the kind of tree must determine the kind of fruit it yields. Right? Verse, verse 17. It's just as clear. You will know them by their fruits. And he says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? No. Is it even possible... For a grapevine, right, 
as it, uh, for a thorn bush to produce good grapes? No. Why not? Because a, a thorn bush does not have the DNA, it doesn't have the genetic ability to produce grapes, does it? Can you gather figs from a thistle? Impossible. Figs, thistles simply do not have the ability to produce figs. Jesus' application is, again, astonishingly simple. Even so, in the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. So the kind of tree must determine the kind of fruit it yields. The quality of a tree or of a, of a, of a plant, whether it's good or it's bad, whether it's diseased and dying or whether it's healthy and vibrant, the quality of the plant or the tree will determine the quality of the fruit yields, whether it be good and bad, and therefore will ultimately determine its destiny, right? I mean, I can go out and look at our apple tree on our properties, our apple trees, and our apple trees are, at this point are very good and productive apple trees. You've seen them now. There, there's a few, there will be some apples up there that it's clear that some worms and stuff have gotten to them externally, you know, um, things that have rotted them out or have been sitting up there too long. You can look and see some, some, some bad fruit, but it's not because the tree is producing bad fruit. There's things that have come upon them outwardly, but if I go out to those trees, I can pick a, an apple that's just there and, and eat it, and it's quite good. But if that, those trees, if I went out there and, all, and I looked and half of the apples on there were rotted and nasty and gross, I might come to the conclusion that, yeah, there's a problem with the tree, right? This isn't just superficial. This is a root problem. That's Jesus' point. And so I might, if the tree is bad, then I might ultimately have to dispose of it because a bad tree that's bad at its core, there's not a way to rehabilitate it, right? Miracle grow is not going to make a, good, a bad tree good again. God's purpose is to restore the material and spiritual realms that he created to goodness and to fruitfulness as it was in the beginning. Think back to Genesis. Therefore, trees that bear bad fruit or no fruit, they have no place in his restored world. And they're useless except to be burned. Remember John 15. Good fruit comes by abiding in Christ. Those that abide in Him as their vine and draw from His life into them by the Spirit and by the Word, they will bear good fruit. And the good vine dresser is going to, He's going to chasten them and cut them to, to make them bear more good fruit for their joy and His glory. But branches that repeatedly fail to bear, bad, bear good fruit, that bear bad fruit, what does he say there? The vine dresser cuts them off, and they are cast into the fire and burned. Right? That's what God, the vine dresser, does. He is committed to branches that bear good fruit in his kingdom. And so false prophets are often betrayed then by the bad fruits they have. What are some of those bad fruits? Let's look at a few. One, their greediness. False prophets will often tend to be those that are in it for, fil for filthy lucre, as First Peter 5 says. They're in it for the money. They're like the hirelings, right? 
but they'll say anything to pad their bank account or to increase uh, their, their lifestyle. They're quite ready to compromise on truth to tickle the ears into fancy public opinion in order to preserve their retirement accounts. I, I regret, but I can tell you, I've had conversations with other gospel ministers who have told me point blank, I could never say that in my church. I've got my retirement to think of. I've heard that verbatim. They're often known by their immorality as manifested by adulterous relationships. Brethren, I want, I want to be very clear. It is a very, you know, we hear about it so frequently that it almost becomes callous to you, to us, you know, when you hear ministers that fall deeply into, you know, whether it's adultery or pornography. And we don't minimize the reality of temptation, but brethren, when a, when a, a man gets caught up or a woman gets caught up in that cycle, they don't guard their heart. Oftentimes, where there is not repentance early on and a hard turning from it, turning back, no walk in that dark way, but walk in the narrow. When there is not, you see what Second Thessalonians talked about, God actually giving them over, and they fall. Proverbs talks about the man that falls into the snare of adultery being one that is despised of the Lord. I don't want to water that down. I take that very seriously. It doesn't mean that I think I'm incapable of falling, brethren, because God has given me the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ and the love of you all. He has also given me the grace to say, Steve, you guard your heart. You guard your relationship with your wife. You do not mess around with things that are going to cause it because not only are you all watching, but there are eternal souls at stake. A true prophet, a true teacher of the Jesus will have such a heart he will say purity in my relationships and what I call other people to follow me as I follow Christ because he knows what's at stake. I remember years ago, a man that I looked up to deeply as a child who was the pastor of a church I went to. He had a radio ministry down in Austin, Texas, followed by so many. Well known. I was shocked, I remember in junior high, to find the day that Seemingly out of the clear blue. Where did that happen? He up, left his wife and moved in with another woman and moved several states away. And last I heard, he had made utter shipwreck not only of his ministry, but of that church and of his life. And you say, well, how did that happen? Did he just wake up one morning and decide he didn't know? He had been compromising and compromising and compromising. Little by little by little until the day came in which... He just said, I'm not going to follow the way anymore. I'm not even going to pretend to follow it. Many, many people's souls were led astray by that man, made shipwreck because of that man. They're often revealed also by their lust for power. They like to create, create religious empires right, and be the ones in control. Think of Diotrephes in Third John. Remember it says, Diotrephes, he says he craves to have the authority and he won't let the words of Apostle John come in and be read among the saints because Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence above them, is forbidding it. But the Lord, John says, is going to deal with Diotrephes. They're arrogant, they're confident in their self-esteem. 
Inevitably, their true character over time will come out. I'm reminded of the words of 1 Timothy chapter 5. Why don't you turn there? 1 Timothy 5, verse 24. Paul has been exhorting Timothy to be aware of false prophets. Like in chapter 4, he speaks the first several verses. Latter days, many will come, depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own consciences seared as with a hot iron, and so on. Paul, at the end of chapter 5, though, he says this, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some end follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. False prophets may not always be readily available or are visible and identifiable right off the top, but watch them. Watch the tenor of their lives. Watch the course of their lives over time. Inevitably, if they're a wolf, it will show. And on the other side, if they are true to the Lord Jesus, they are the grace of God that upholds them will show. And God will uphold them and cause them to be true. You can look at their teaching. They, they, like I said, they're stealthy, they're covetous, they use deceptive words, they twist the scriptures, 2 Peter 3 says, they twist the scriptures, literally the word there that Peter uses, they wrangle, they distort the scriptures. They can sound very, very plausible. I'm going to use one example, again, because this is near to us. I, I had the opportunity years ago when I was in seminary at Covenant Seminary down in, in, in uh, St. Louis there was a day we had a pastor's conference and Tim Keller came you got a chance to hear the great Tim Keller right he's written some great books he actually has written a few books that are very helpful which is part of the problem he's very subtle you can point to some things he's written that are very orthodox but they had a Q&A time and the question came to him Tim Tim, you're, you're a pastor up in metropolitan New York. It's been all about urban ministry. I'm all for urban ministry in the right sense. Jesus is Lord of the city. He is. But Tim sat there on a podium, and the question was, Tim, is homosexuality sin? Brethren, what I got for the next 10 minutes was quoting of this scripture and that scripture, this sort of sophisticated argument and that sort of sophisticated argument. It was very high, very intellectual, very nuanced, quoting from several studies, this, that, and the other, but the man could not answer a simple question. Brethren, there's a reason why the Lord sent destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a reason why Romans 1 is as clear as can be that it is God giving them over to such inordinate affections and lusts that they may do what they desire because they suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. Brethren, if I had any doubts about Tim Keller, they were put to quest that day. Since then, it's interesting. You know, you hear Tim, and I use him as an example because you can listen to Redeemer's website on any given Sunday, and you'll hear many wonderful gospel truths. He knows his solace, but then you can also later hear Tim get on, and you know he's on the board of BioLogos. He's on the board of a group that is openly and adv- openly 
working to promote theistic evolution in the PCA as well as in churches broadly. He has said that creationism, literal biblical creationism, is scientifically untenable, and the sooner the church is rid of that childish doctrine, the better. Brethren, I do not care how orthodox he is in other ways. He is a false teacher. He is deceptive. He is leading sheep astray to their destruction from such turn away. We must inspect the fruit because the fruit over time will inevitably show the heart. Again, this is not a snapshot, right? Any of us, you and me, or even a preacher, on any given day, if I take a picture, I might say, my goodness, on that particular moment, he was really bad. It's true. Every Lord's Day, when I get up here and lead us all in confession, brethren, I have lots to confess. This is more like, though, the motion picture snapshot. I mean, the motion picture, right? Look at the course of his life. Listen to his words. What is the direction? And let us remember what 1 John 3 says. Brethren, be not deceived. He that practices, practicing means uh, like walking, right? It's something you do as a course. He that practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. He that does not practice righteousness or speak righteous is not righteous. It's just what Jesus says. There is no gray about this. Do not be deceived. Yes, we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Yes, I must see the logs in my eyes before I'm quick to point out specks in others. Yes. But brethren, when I have come before the Lord in humility and said, Lord Jesus, judge me first. I want to walk righteously. But what I'm hearing from this man in your name does not comport with the tenor of what I'm hearing in Jesus say, the clear, narrow way, the difficult way, then I have to at some point say that man is one who, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 6, I am not to cast my pearls before him, and I'm not to take the pearls that he says and he's casting before me. Lastly, what is the end of false prophets? Oh, I wanted to give one illustration here. You all read Pilgrim's Progress. One of my favorite sections of Pilgrim's Progress is the section at Interpreter's House. In fact, back when I was in Austin years ago, the church that I went to every year had a, uh, a conference they held. Who knows, maybe at some point we'll do this here at Resurrection. They had a conference they held every year. Um, it was a, a, just a biblical teaching conference, but the conference was called Interpreter's House. I always loved that name because I thought it was very appropriate. Christian, you remember, who's on his way to the celestial city. He hasn't yet reached the cross. But he is bid to go to the narrow gate and to the gatekeeper who represents the Holy Spirit in the analogy. And he gets there. He goes in, and the Spirit, the gatekeeper, shows him seven visions. Remember that. But the first one is the one I want to consider because the first thing the Spirit says to him, I mean, the, the gatekeeper said, he, sh- he takes him in to a little house, uh, and he's shown, it says, many profitable things, and he shows him on a wall a picture, he says, of a very grave, and again, this is 1600s, grave doesn't mean that he's dour, just very sober, right? Serious. 
man hanging, a picture of a very serious man hanging up against the wall. And this was the fashion of it. The man had eyes lifted up to heaven. He had the best of books in his hand. The law of truth was written on his lips. The world was behind his back. It stood as if he pleaded with men and a crown of gold did hang over his head. Christian asked interpreter about this. Interpreter said, the man whose picture this is can beget children. Remember Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, I, that I fathered you. He can travail in birth with children, Galatians 14. He's, he can be like a nursing mother, 2 Thessalonians 2 them. He can exhort like a father, 2 Thessalonians 2 also. 1 Thessalonians 2 rather. And when you see him with his eyes lift up to heaven, the best of books in his hand and the law of truth written on his lips is to show you that his work is to know and to unfold dark things to sinners. Even as you see him stand as he pleaded with men and whereas you see the world is cast behind him and that a crown hangs over his head that is to show you that sliding and despising the things that are present for the love that he has to his master's service and kingdom he is sure in the world that comes next to have glory for his reward because his hopes and his treasure are firmly anchored there interpreter then concluded with this analogy he says i have showed you this picture first christian because the man whose picture this is is the only man whom the lord of this place whither you are going has authorized to be your guide in all difficult places that you meet with in the way wherefore take good heed to what i have showed you and bear well in your mind what you have seen lest in your journey you meet with some that pretend to lead you right but their way goes down to death I don't think it could have been said better. So then let's conclude there. What is the end of false prophets? Jesus is quite clear in verse 21 to 23. Not all who call Jesus Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. There's the key point. Some will have hypocrisy, wickedness of their words. They will say, Lord, Lord, and they will use it meaninglessly, Jesus says, they will honor him with their lips, but their heart is far from them because ultimately, as Jesus says, they will be those that do not do what he says. Right? They say one thing and do another. Couldn't be more clear about that. They don't do the will of my Father in heaven. They are the blind leading the blind of which Jesus spoke about in Matthew 8. Matthew 15, rather. And they're also their hypocrisy in their works. Because again, they say, Lord, Lord. They seeming to have spiritual works. They say, we've prophesied, right? We've done exorcisms. We've done signs and wonders in your name. Surely, we must know the Lord. Surely, we must be right with you, right? What does Jesus say to them? You depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Brother, I want to close by making a very sobering but important point. The Bible repeatedly, it's not just in this verse, but it teaches us that there is a very real sense that, there, that our final judgment, that our ultimate destiny 
does in fact take into account our works. Now I want to be clear. Steve's not getting all Roman Catholic on here, okay? The just is saved by faith, by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. The scriptures couldn't be more clear about that. It is an imputed righteousness apart from the works. Paul is very clear in Romans 3, right? It is looking to Jesus alone, receiving his imputed righteousness as ours alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> I never would. But I also want to make the point, you know, I'll give you some scriptures here to show you this, that there is such a close connection, as Jesus just told us, such a close connection between the kind of tree it is and the fruit it bears. Between the essence of the tree and what you see come out. That James rightly can also say in James 2, with regard to justification, Paul speaks of it with regard to our Godward justification in the courts of heaven. But James can rightly say, in James 2, that there is a sense in which a man is not justified by faith only, but by works. And say, so what does James mean by that, right? He's not contradicting Paul, no. What James is speaking of is there's a justification that is in the eyes of men. Are you what you say you are? Right? James says that as the body without the spirit is dead, so too faith, if it have not works, is dead, being unto itself. Faith without works is dead. It's a dead tree. And you can say that. Jesus has been so clear. I don't see how he could be more clear. Let's give you two quick passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, if you'll turn there just real quick. 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, that great preacher of imputed righteousness by faith alone. Right? What does he say here? Verse 7, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. We all give a very hearty amen, saints. Verse 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing him. Here's why. For we, we all, that's the Corinthians, that's Paul, right, sorry, we all must appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, that each of us may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Brethren, there is no contradiction in Paul's mind between being justified, walking by faith, not by sight, justified by faith, and nevertheless acknowledging truthfully that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that our works, which are the fruits of true faith, that they will be viewed and considered not perfectly. Anybody in here confident that your works are so good that they're going to pass the inspection? I hope not. Let it never be said at this church that we preach that your works are good enough. But brethren, make no mistake about it. There is not a perfection to our works, but by God's grace working through the Spirit in you and keeping and preserving you, there will be a direction so that your tree will bear some good fruit. 
And it will be able to see that, yeah, there was, there was some bad things there, no doubt. And Jesus is going to perfect us wholly, praise to his name. But brethren, if there is not, if, if, if we're before the judgment seat of Christ and all there is is a lifetime full of bad fruit and unbelief, walking in flesh rather than faith, brethren, the judgment at the last day will be this one did not have faith. This one was not saved by faith because there were no fruits of faith. Last one, Romans chapter 2, and with this we'll be done. Romans chapter 2. Again, this is in the epistle to Romans. So just consider Paul's words. He warns them, the, Jew, the Jewish believers there, he says, but be careful, verse 5, Verse 4, rather, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. In accordance, though, with your hardness and your impenitent hearts, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revealing of the righteous judgment of God. Well, what will that righteous judgment of God entail, saints? Look what he says. Who will render to each one according to his works. He will render eternal life to those who by patient continuance in faith, they, in doing good, they seek for glory, honor, and immortality by faith. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey truth in their unbelief, but they obey unrighteousness, there will be indignation and wrath. There will be tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and of the Greek. But there will be glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Brethren, you know what Paul just said there? Paul just said exactly what Jesus said. So my concluding exhortation to you today is this. Brethren, what are you to do with all this? Number one, watch who you listen to. I'm going to exhort you because I love you and because Jesus loves you. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, strive to grow up in the faith. All of us to be mature, that we would no longer be as children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, by scheming and craftiness of men and their deceits. Secondly, Brethren, be Bereans. Remember Acts 17. When the gospel came to the church at Berea, it says that they were more noble-minded than the, the, the church before that persecuted him because it says they searched the scriptures to see if the things Paul said were so. Brethren, do you know the easiest way to discern when you hear a false teacher? If you've been listening to the true teacher, you will know a counterfeit when you hear it. If you have been in the Word of God day in and day out and you know what the voice of Jesus sounds like, when you hear something false, that alarm is going off. <laughs> that anointing is saying, nuh-uh. Nuh -uh. That sounds smooth. It sounds elegant. It sounds suave. It's got a lot of Christianese, but that's not Jesus. And lastly, I'm going to say this again. As you read the Scriptures, as you search the Scriptures, Brethren, the goal of searching the Scriptures and knowing the Scriptures is that you would see and savor Jesus. Remember John 5, 39. 
you search the scriptures because you believe in these that you have eternal life. And these are they which speak of me. Brethren, the reason why I exhort you to be in the word of God today, tomorrow, men, wash your wives in the water of the word, wash yourselves, be diligent, let not a day go by where the word of God is not heard in your household is because, brethren, the word of God will cleanse you, will cleanse your family. It will do its work in you. And as you search the scriptures and see Jesus, you have a promise that we, as in a looking glass, though dimly, yet we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we are being transformed from glory unto glory as by looking in the face of the Lord. Brethren, my desire for you is that every single one of you here would enter by the narrow way, the difficult way, and by the narrow gate. Brethren, I exhort you today, as a pastor who loves you, as a brother who is going to give an account for your souls, listen to Jesus alone. Do not listen to those who are false prophets. Amen. Father, oh God, would you keep us from believing lies? Oh God, would you keep us on the narrow way? Father, for myself, I have just been around. I've seen so much over the years of those who have started well, but who have ultimately believed lies. Those who even professed to be reformed and to love the Westminster Confession. Men with whom I have talked but who later in their lives they listened to unbelief and to lies and they got off the way and now they are spouting heresy and they are leading many, many astray. Oh God, would you keep me on the narrow way? Would you keep me with my eyes focused on Jesus and his word? May I care about nothing except the salvation and the good of the souls in this congregation. And Father, I pray for each of us as husbands, shepherds of our families, may it be that our greatest interest is in the spiritual well-being of our children and our wives, that they would walk according to truth and hear Jesus, the good shepherd, and would you give us the grace to lead them in that. God, we cannot do this. We are prone to wander. Lord, we do feel it. We are prone to leave the God we love and to listen to lies. So, Lord, we plead with you in Jesus' name today. Take our heart and seal it for your courts above. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.